What's up, everyone? Welcome to an all-new episode of Unbuckled Chinstrap. I'm your host, Paul Rabel, and this is now week two of recording under full quarantine. The first two weeks of Shelter at Home here in LA, we had two episodes banked, and hopefully you listen to them, with Connor Farrell and Jared Newman, the milkman and the fastest shooter on the planet. I got to record with those guys before the COVID-19 pandemic hit, and that was at PLHQ, and then I had Will Manny remotely, and now today you're going to listen to none other than the big rig, Scott Rogers. Some of his boys call him Scotty, other people call him Raj. I like to call him Rig, and we go way back. We first met over a dozen years ago. We were first playing pro ball. I watched him when he was in college at Notre Dame, losing the national championship game but being declared the most valuable player of the tournament. That never happens. He's one of two players to ever do that. We talked about it, how difficult that was, but how he's learned and built his career off of those low times. Scott's quarantined in Florida right now with his girlfriend and a couple of his buddies. I don't have that uh, camaraderie, so to speak. I'm self-quarantined here in LA as I stare at this computer screen doing this opening read. Why don't we just get into it? Scott Rogers talks about his blue-collar upbringing, who he has beef with, why he has his presence that he does on social media, why he is so goddamn good between the pipes. Scotty, let's do it, my man. All right, Rick. All right, man. I was hoping I was hoping we were going to be able to do this in person, but now we're just across each other on a screen virtually, both having a glass of vino, chin donning, and we're going to talk life and lacrosse. I'm drinking box wine, but yes. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Good. What kind of box? Barefoot. <laughs> I'm drinking a bottle that, that Mike gave me. It's called Coho, Napa Valley Cab 2014. Probably about 200 bucks, yeah. <laughs> it's not. Hey, 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 you know how much my box was? Two bucks? Ten. Ten bucks. For a gallon. Are you drinking the whole thing tonight? No. <laughs> Depends how long this podcast goes. See how these questions are, yeah. Should we just jump right into it? Yeah. You know where we're going to start. We're going to start with Timmy Troutner. I have no choice. Good. What's, what's your response? We've all been waiting. I mean, here's the deal with Timmy. He's probably – him and Jack in Canada are the two best young goalies in the league. So I'm not going to knock the guy. But if we're talking physical – he knows better. He, I mean, he's got to know better. He said he was a high school wrestler. Yeah, yeah, man. Okay. So he thinks he thinks like he, I mean, he's like, look, Scott's a lot stronger than me, and perhaps a bit tougher. But oh, I did he say perhaps or did you? <laughs> he he thinks he thinks his wrestling though his wrestling skills can transcend brute force. I wrestled once, you know. When. Me? Seventh late grade. night? Hartzell late night after a game in a hotel room? <laughs> no, but se- seventh grade middle school. That was before you were at MacArthur? Yes, that was when I was in middle school. Yep. Yeah, it's tough. So Timmy might have me in that, that part. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So we've got to like... Listen, if I land one punch, night night. Right. You just have to land it. Well, you act like he's like... Agile? He's he quick. Have? He's a goalie. He's quick. He must be quick. Nice. What would you do in, in a ring? Would you just kind of – how you play an angle. You've been working out in rings right now. He's got to come to me eventually. What's he going to run around? Until he fatigues, yeah. <laughs> and then I go get him. 
And then I eat. I feast. And that's it. It's a wrap. So when, when training camp does come, what's the showdown going to be like? It's just going to, it's just going to be a brotherly hug. I can see it on your face. It's going to be a dap with like, let's not do this again. Right. Like you don't like, need to rec- I'm going to recommend that you don't say that again. You don't, call that that what- a, you don't call it an 11 year vet ever again. Just saying. How hard will your handshake be? It'll be more of like a chop. <laughs> Remember the chops you used to give me in the chest? Like yeah, that. those are the best. The good old nature boy Ric Flair chops. It will be a friendly chop. Friendly? Yeah, I, I like you got to open. You got to turn. You got to turn your backhand into a forehand slap right against the meat of your chest to get that big echo. He doesn't have enough meat on his chest to get an echo, so we're not going to do that that hard. You're gonna. You're gonna. Then you're gonna go to his back and make a good old back slap like Andy Towers. You know exactly what I'm gonna do. Yeah. Yeah. Has Andy Towers ever given you that back slap? Andy Towers shook my hand once and almost broke it. It is right a. Now. It's the fiercest back slap I've ever been in front of. He is one of the scariest men I've ever seen. I'd rather take a club across my lap. I'd rather take a bat. I, honestly, ten out of ten would 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 stand crouched over and let Hartzell take a six foot pull right across my neck versus Andy Towers. Open open hand back slap. I agree with that. I'm with in the hotel that. lobby, every time it's coming. Uh, agree, hundred percent. I mean, next time I'm gonna I'm gonna duck and punch. He's massive. Yeah, he's, he's got he's, he's got a big old club on him. He's got a big old big old club. So so Timmy Troutner's out. Uh, what about what you're doing now? You're in Florida, so you've been training. Yeah, so we've been quarantined here for like thirty days, like a month. We just hit a how month. Did, how did you get How did you get caught there? We were actually coming to visit friends for a weekend and I was supposed to go to do a PLL Academy Sunday at like 5 a.m. Greensboro, North Carolina. Coronavirus hits just the start of it. Yep. We stay like a week and then it's getting worse, like worse and worse. Borders are closing. Everyone's like, don't leave. So our friends like are like, just stay. They're like, just stay. It's fine. We're like, are you sure, dude? Like, I hate taking. Like, I've never been a guy that could take. You know that. You know that. Yeah, you're you're you are you are a giver to a fault. Uh, to a fault, yes. It's it's a it's a very good characteristic, but you put yourself in front of bullets. But you know the deal. I just can't take like <laughs> I can't take like gifts. I don't take like pity. I don't take like anything like that. Well, and these people are like, yeah, you can stay for whenever you want, and I'm just like, oh, we gotta leave, but we're still here. So what are you doing to chip in around the house? Uh, you, you can I, clean. You clean well. He does that, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm cleaning. I take the trash out. I walk the dogs, and I don't cook. But that's about it. I, I have my but choice. You, but you like you like getting around the house. That blue collar work. I used to do it at home. Yeah, why not? I used to take the trash out every night. Yeah. I miss. Talk it. about I'm your just- upbringing. Talk about your upbringing. Not enough people know about it. You have the, one of the best photos you've ever posted. Mike and I talk about it. Is the photo of your uh, living room with your pops, who was a corrections officer. Yeah. So, I mean, my upbringing is different than some of these guys. Like we've had Long Island guys, like, come on. Like, I'm just a little different. Like Levittown is just a little bit of a different place. So my dad was a cop. He was a New York City correction officer, Rikers Island. And my mother was a nurse. She was a radiation oncologist. So pretty standard, like New York blue collar family, like cop, nurse, right? Boom. So we live in a Levitt house, which is a typical ranch house. Like everybody has the same kind of house. You know, it's like a suburb. 
it's nice, man. Like I grew up, I had a great childhood. Like we used to play at the sandlot in the corner, play pickup football. Like we had our crew. I had a great childhood, but it wasn't like we didn't have much. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't have much. And, and, and I went to public school. So like I was friends with guys that were like drug dealers and, and you know, I was the jock of my group of my friend group. And like everyone was always busting my balls cause I was going to get out. And, uh, it was weird because like when I got in Notre Dame, everyone was like, this idiot's not going to Notre Dame. And I'm like, dad, if I could get into Notre Dame, I'm going to go. Cause nobody leaves where I'm from really. Uh, it's probably myself and Nikki Tintel who plays in the PLL too. He went to North Carolina. I went to Notre Dame and like everybody looked at us like we were like gods back home. So we go, you know, and I had an opportunity. My dad used to make, wake me up every day at 5 a.m. growing up from basically eighth grade through 12th. I used to have to wake up at 5 a.m. to like a blender. I could remember the, the, the noise of the blender going off and I'd wake up and he'd say, Junior, let's go. We're going to the gym. So he'd take me to the high school gym. They used to have a 530 start. We would go. That routine was kind of stuck in me because he was a Marine too. So he was like this like – Semper Fi, like Marine. Everything he does in his life is planned. Yeah. So that rubbed off on me a little bit. And then like this routine and regiment, I just stuck with it from like eighth grade through twelfth. And like I used to like not be able to like do a push up when I was like, Yeah, you you were a different stature. When did it flip? When did you start when when were you because a lot of kids probably want to know that. They they all go, How can I put on weight? And I'm like, you got to eat good carbs. You got to eat good protein. Eat your carbs before you work out. Eat eat a lot of protein right after and then carb up at night. It's hard. Yeah. But, how, but you put on good muscle. When did that turn for you? So my dad was doing those shakes in the morning and then he was doing like shakes for me at night before bed. So then he would make those shakes for me. So whatever he put in, whey protein, he used to put a raw egg in it. He was a psycho. He's a psychopath. But yeah. Raw egg's good. Yeah. I mean, raw egg's okay. That's like rocky shit, but it's- – Dude, I, I've seen you take so much protein powder down without any water, no mix. Yeah, yeah. Especially, especially, especially after a, a good a good night on the town. Come oh, yeah. back, you know. A lot of athletes will punish themselves by doing 100, 200 push-ups. You we come back and start shoving protein down your mouth. No doubt, no doubt. Protein powder. But but gaining weight wise, senior year, high <laughs> gaining no weight wise, senior year of high school is when I started to really do, really start putting it on. And uh, I played D-end in football, and I really did like football. I wanted to play football. Um, I had offers to play 1AA um, football in Delaware, Towson, Hofstra, Iona, and Stony Brook. So I could have played defensive end and lacrosse at some of those schools. Yeah. And uh, I just knew I was like I wanted to get bigger. And like I loved football, so I was like 230 my senior year. But that still wasn't that big, you know? Relatively speaking to where you are now, but 230 is a, is a hoss. 230 is big in high school, no doubt. You haven't talked about lacrosse yet, though. What, what did you love about lacrosse? Were you just naturally gifted in, in between the pipes? So my dad put me in the cage. It was like I was playing peewee football, and I was in seventh – no, I was seven years old. And someone comes up to my dad and goes, hey, we need a goalie. Could you sign up in the cage? And I, he didn't even ask me. He just was like – it was like another cop guy. He yeah. goes, yeah, he'll be there. When is it? I was like, I don't want to play, I don't want to play goalie. What? Yeah. And he's like, he'll be there. So we went like a Saturday morning tryout, Levittown Tomahawks. I'm in the cage with like a back rack. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck the F is going yeah. on? And I hated it. Like I was, and when I do like our clinics and stuff, I tell these kids, like I hated getting hit with the ball. I still hate getting hit. You know that. Yeah. No I, one likes it. Uh, is there a goalie who likes it? I think gets like shots. Gets likes it. 
Gitz. Queener might like getting hit. Uh, no, no way. I, I think Gitz is probably the only one in our league right now. Uh, and Blaze. I think Blaze would take shots too. No, I'm not even talking about taking shots. Does anyone enjoy getting hit by the ball? Oh, no, I, I just think Gitz. I think Gitz is like a diehard like goalie. He's like a goalie. I mean, he's, he's the He most- understands. He's at peace with it. He's at peace he with has- it. He has reconciled with his position being hit by a hard rubber ball at 100 miles an hour, and he's okay with it. He's okay with it. He knows. He's present in that moment. But the thing for me is when I was that age, and I teach kids now, um, I tell them, nobody likes getting hit with a rubber ball. Like, nobody loves it, right? But when you get older, you guys get better. So, like, shooters like you, Paul Rabel comes in, and and when he's seven, he closes his eyes and shoots as hard as he can. Boom, he hits me in in the nuts. Yeah. Senior year high school, you're picking corners because you're you're trying to hit a corner and you're shooting to score. So I think when I tell these young guys, and I was the same way, if you can get through that seven to like twelve year old gap of goalie, you're going to be great. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of the, the same thing around us wearing fewer pads. People think like, oh, you're bigger and you're faster. Don't you think you're going to get hurt more because the defenders are so big and strong? And my thought, I've thought about that a lot. And I'm like, well, the reason why we don't is defenders don't waste bad checks to try and hit you in the skin or hurt you because they know that's when you can turn up and get by them. So they're actually more precise. So most of the checks land on your hands or your stick. And if they are going to wail and hit you in the back, you're going to soak it, but you're going to get by them and potentially score. And with the, the talent density being so thick, you can't risk getting beat. So you end up throwing fewer checks. It's, it's the same thing in football, honestly. A lot of the skill position receivers and corners, they take out the thigh pads and oh, yeah. you have D tackles that, take, that wear like the really small um, shoulder pads because they don't want bulkiness to be grabbed onto by the O tackle. And you, you, you make concessions. But, but yeah, but I'm saying like that piece of the game is like – I didn't like wearing all those pads either. I hated wearing. I wore like football pants. You have the smallest chest protector in the world. That's still from seven years old when I started. What's up with that, man? Why don't you just get a new one? It's a mess. First of all, it's a mental thing. Like in my head, I feel like if I get a new one, I can't get across my chest, which is a mental block. Right. So I don't. I won't. I'm superstitious too. It's it's about as it's about as thick as a as a as a wet napkin. I mean, that thing, that thing hits you in the chest. It's not taken. I mean, a t-shirt's absorbing as much pressure as that thing. But the thing is, that's not going to help you anyway. Like no one really like realizes those chest guards aren't going to help you anyway. I think, I think, I think you're a little bit off there. Yeah. A good chest protector will protect you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. But what you're superstitious. That? I'm superstitious. And I think the less padding gives you more in your head the mental mobility piece of goalie. So if I go in there, everyone always says, why wouldn't you go dress like a box goalie in the field game? There's no rule against it because I can't move. Yeah. And you, you need to be able to move your, across your face underneath. Yeah. It's just a little different. I, for me as a big guy, I don't need all that bulk. I don't need when you the- step, when you step in between the pipes, is there like a, like early moments where you're just like <sighs> kind of yeah. exhale some nerves and then you got to see the first shot. Like everyone says, Make sure the goalie doesn't make the save on the first shot. Is is that is that real? That's real or no? I, I believe in it. Yeah. I believe in it. But I also, my dad, growing up, my dad used to say, I uh, I was always good for two or three to open up a game, and then I would settle in. And I hated that he said that, but he was always right because I'd let up two or three goals right in the first quarter. I'd be like rattled. But all of a sudden, I'd like settle in, and then I'm like – Better in the fourth quarter. I was a better fourth quarter goalie than, than like first quarter goalie always. So 
Yeah. I think there's a little truth to it. Well, when you were at Notre Dame, you uh, you had the lowest goals against average in the country. Six goals. That's like a fucking soccer game. So uh, you, were well, talk- you probably were. You probably had anxiety around that towards the end of the season because you didn't want that goals against average. When you think about your goals against average when you play a team that scored ten, would you be like motherfucker? Oh, I let up ten. Spring break in Texas against Fairfield. They weren't even ranked. We let up ten. Jerry Byrne. I, I was so scared. That I that I fucked up this gem of a season, like I, I yeah. fucked it up. I let up a couple of inverts. It was like a, it was a mess. So I'm like crying on the bus. I remember my dad's like, "Holy fuck, what are you crying about? You let up ten goals. It's the first time." You guys win? Did you win? I lost ten nine, but uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you know, but I've never let up double digits in my career to that point. And I played a full season the year before, and we. Play, we we went we got we lost to Maryland in the quarters, and then the next year we go like 500, and then we make that run in the NCAA tournament. But we still never really let up 10 goals ever. So I let up 10 goals, and I just remember that feeling of like stress, anxiety. I let you down, coach. I let you down. I was like, this is fucked up. Did he keep his eye on the goals against average? Was that like a, a goal for you guys at him? Because you guys would always come at the top. I remember Petro would look at it, and we'd be like, well, it's, they play a slow pace game, so there's fewer shots. Uh, but we had our, our goals for and goals against uh, goals. So we'd set those goals every game for 12 for seven against. We would just like across the board, we would say, you know, let's have a five-goal delta – Offense is good if we score twelve or more. Defense yeah. is good if we let in seven or fewer. So, but we, this, we would see consistently six goals against Notre Dame. You got you guys. Jerry Byrne would have that as a goal, huh? He would a different schedule than you, which was like a big thing because people would always bust our balls about playing in the Great Western League. Yeah, and we, and we would like, dude, Ohio State and Denver is nasty, and and people would still bust our balls. So like. We never really got that respect in, in the country because when we played the ACC teams, guess what, though? I lost, we lost to Maryland 7-3 to three my senior year in a playoff game. I lit up seven, man. Seven. We yeah. scored three. I mean, yeah. it's just like it just, there is a pressure, but there's a pride at Notre Dame. There's a pride to play defense the right way, but there's a pride to be the best defense in the country as a whole. That was your senior year? My, I started my senior year and my fifth year. Yeah, that's okay. So your fifth year, you were the the most outstanding player, so the MVP of the championship game. There's there haven't there hasn't been more than probably one or two, maybe three tops yep. of players on the losing side of the game that has won the MVP of the tournament. And you were one of them. Have there been others or are you the only one? Brian Doherty. Brian Doherty was for Maryland. So that was your that was your fifth year. We'll come back to that. So your your senior year, you lost to Maryland. Your fifth year, you guys made a run. Was that yep. the year? Your was that the year you lost to Fairfield? Yeah, we, we so, lost. So how'd you guys get in the playoffs if your schedule was weaker and you had a subpar season? So we beat Duke. We oh. played Duke. We played Duke February seventeenth every season, and we used to beat them. You know how Duke's like kind of shit. They're early? weak in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, shaky early. But we beat him, and I had like 16 games, <laughs> and I was like feeling myself, and I'm like, yeah, boy. This is like right after I came off the Big East Beast cover and shit. I was like, I'm coming into this. On it, uh, inside lacrosse. Yeah, yeah. Cover of the magazine. I remember that. So I'm coming into this fifth year just like a dick. And I go back all the time and tell the story, and I'm like, 
I was such a dick. And, and I go in and we beat Duke. So then I'm continuing this, like my head's growing and I'm like, we're, we're sick. We're going to be unstoppable. So then we beat them early, but they were ranked high, like three. We yeah. lose like six, I think six games. I think we went, wow. I think we went eight and eight. Right. Does that sound right? And you made it in, which is like, means your schedule was good and you had some quality wins because that there was, because like four or five years down the road, the schedule uh, RPI really lightened up. And I remember Notre Dame was like 11 and 0 or 12 and 1 and they weren't seated. Right. So this was a different time. This was a different schedule that you guys played when you were there then. We just got Notre Dame. Notre Dame doesn't get into the tournament no. typically in 8 and 8. No, no, not yeah. at all. We beat Duke early. Yeah. And that got so that we found out from Coach Corgan later on that win got us in alone. So because they went on a run and they were number one in the tournament. They were the best, yeah. They had Ned and then you had the championship rematch against them. Holy shit. I didn't know. Okay, so they was like – so yeah. you guys were up against it because it's hard to beat a team twice in a year in college lacrosse. I agree. It's hard. I agree. But in our, in our, in our defense, like we came into the playoffs. When we got in, we knew we should, probably shouldn't have even been there. We were, so, we were so like – I remember talking to that group as a fifth year and saying, boys – Blank slate, like we had a fucking, sh- we had a shitty season. Yeah. Let's start a new season right now. And we beat, who we beat? We beat Princeton, we beat Cornell, we beat Maryland, and then we go to play Duke in the championship. I remember watching that game. I was there. It was boring, wasn't it? It wasn't great for broadcast. Was it 6 5? Was the final 6 5? The final. The final was 6 5 in overtime. In overtime. So it was 5. God, five. you were a fucking brick wall. Five five game and Duke is a fast paced team. Like they're not like it's not it's not Notre Dame Maryland where it's like half court hoops. Like they were they were trying to push, but everyone tightens up for a championship game. But I remember that I remember that was in Baltimore, right? M and T Bank, yeah, yeah. And then the overtime goal was CJ Constable coming down. Oh, let's let's go back to the uh, to the point around reading shots because. I was going to say this earlier and that we went off on a tangent, but probably the hardest shot to save in lacrosse are from guys who don't shoot the ball well because they don't know where it's going. And in many cases, they send you in a signal where they, they're actually trying to shoot the ball far side, but they lose their technique and the ball goes short side high. And there's literally nothing a goalie can do about it because a lot of saving has to do with instinct, but also following mechanics. Because you get 0.2 seconds to make a reaction. So if you're following a mechanic properly and then, you know, the guy's wrist flail behind his shoulders and it goes short side, there's nothing you can fucking do. Uh, you want a prime example of that? I played Max Seabold since I was literally in ninth grade. <laughs> like we used to go head to head. We used to play Hewlett versus MacArthur, two public schools. We'd have like four, three games where I had 20 saves. He has all four goals. It was, it was crazy. It was crazy. So then we, we grow up. And then we're in college. And then I remember him just shooting the shit out of it. But he, like, he still like just gripped it and ripped it. Like He shoots it. He would shoot it so hard. So hard. Like through you, essentially. Yeah. When we got to the pros, I remember we used to play you guys. And, and, and like we used, to play, we used to play Max and everyone. A lot of guys shoot a corner and shoot the same way every time. Max literally closes his eyes and grips it and then lets it go on the back end like a, like a golfer swing. Yeah, and I'm like, 
he might kill me in a game. Like from it's hard. Years. It's hard to you, you just. So how do you how do you try to save a guy's shot who doesn't know where it's going? It's just like, is it is it just hopefully you can get your hands around to it? Honestly, on Max, I used to literally take two steps off my arc when he wound up just to be like, I'm going to get hit. I'm I'm I, I'm at peace with this. I'm going to get body <laughs> on it. Just going to soak it. 110 mile an hour shot. You're just like fuck it. It's a game. You have no choice. Every time I played Max Seabold, I took two steps and he just, I knew he was going to hit me. And I used to go, you know, that little chicken wing save I do with my bicep. Yeah. Yeah. I used to leave with like welts like this. I was like, yeah. well, at least I got it. Right. I mean, I said earlier, you'll step in front of bullets is essentially what you were doing for your team. Yeah. But I think he has the hardest shot that he, that it's a heavy hard. ball. It's and a heavy had, ball. And then Romar. Romar, you know, who else shot a heavy ball was Steven Pizer. Steven Pizer shoots a heavy ball. Steven Brooks. Steven Brooks shoots a heavy Ooh. ball. <laughs> yeah. What's the deal with that? Some guys shoot fast and then some guys shoot heavy. That like, heavy one, it's weird. It's like, like it's like a knuckleball. Like it slaps. Your shot's quick. It's like a it's yeah. like a snap. Like the ultimate, the ultimate speed light shot, but shooting percentage really high is Kyle Dixon because he, yeah. sh- he would shoot at 90, 95 miles an hour, but he had the most two pointers ever because it was, it was a quick release, it but heavy. it wasn't a heavy. Oh, it was heavy. Oh yeah. Oh man. It always felt like, like just a little flick of the wrist. Boom. In and out. It's like Chanachuk doesn't shoot it over a hundred. Really? Yeah. I think he's in his nineties, but it's all like wrist action and deception and an unbelievable release. Yeah. I mean, the reason why he didn't do the fastest shot competition, he was a prime candidate leading the PLL in two pointers. Why wouldn't he do the fastest shot competition? He's an all star. Right. Yeah. It's all about movement. That, that, uh, there we go. Busick, heavy ball, heavy fucking ball. Heavy ball? He almost <laughs> shot a ball through my goddamn femur. This impression. <laughs> it's a heavy ball. I mean, <laughs> like, but we practice and we run those little, like, four on threes. I'm sitting there going like this. We're giving him a green light on a ten yard step down. Yeah, like that's insane. How do how do goalies? So so even take this premise. If you if you were to say like a lot of high school players aren't great shooters, it must be hell being a goaltender and trying to read shots if they're all like flying everywhere. I mean, you you also set records at MacArthur. Yeah, I mean, more Long Island, but yeah. In Long Island. <laughs> I have this stat here. 998 saves. I wrote WTF. What happened to the other two? Well, I'll tell you what now. The stat that was my me. note back to Joe Keegan. He didn't respond yet. It's a live Google Doc. The stat girl hated me, you know? The stat, stat girl didn't like you. Didn't like me. So, 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 they, so they docked you two, two extra saves? Two saves, buddy. It was a mess. I, I think about that and that goal from CJ Cosmeville every night of my life. The nine ninety eight. Nine ninety eight could have been a thousand. Could have been a great. Yeah, been I was. Great. I was doing some like real basic math on it. So in high school, you play like twelve games a season. And said, so you, were you a four year starter? Yes. Yeah. So four year starter, twelve games a season. That means you're averaging like twenty saves a game. Yes. That's about right. Yes. That's unbelievable. So, but I went to college and I was shell shocked. Like I went to college because I saw too much rubber back in my like when I played high school. And yeah, it's like a running to, back. I You're was just like, getting hit too much. I was like an old man when I got to college. And, and like I literally saw four years on a, on a mediocre, I'd say below mediocre uh, high school team. And 
we played guys like Garden City, like Peter Lasore and shit. Like those guys were great. Remember those guys? Like they were awesome. Yeah, yeah. Pete was a legend. Dude, we played Farmingdale when they had Donowski, Panarelli. It was a. It was like what the fuck. It was a bloodbath. I, I had to make twenty saves and we would lose, and I'd still give up twenty. Yeah. But like so. Like so you see, like, you saw a lot of shots. So much it, would you rather see a lot? Of, that's that. That begs the right. A good question, which is. Uh, in lacrosse, it's a lot like soccer. Uh, soccer, you sit around. If, if you're playing for Notre Dame, you're not going to see as many shots. You're going to let in fewer goals. But it, it almost, it's like a psychological mind fuck because now all of a sudden every shot is a little bit more valuable. That's one of the reasons – that was one of the theories around uh, how, why our goalies this past year at the PLL had so many saves – is that the volume of shots per possession were up because we have a smaller shot clock or shorter shot clock, a shorter quarter, smaller field. And so you were seeing different types of shots that are more favorable to goalies. But once you start saving some, you almost want to see more shots so you can get into a rhythm. Do you feel that way or do you like the pressure? And you can, you can kind of play in both. But rhythm, rhythm can be done. I think rhythm's like one or two good saves, not just getting pepped in the first quarter. Like the first quarter you open up with 12 shots on goal, man, that, that's going to give you anxiety as a goalie all game. It's all game, that anxiety. Yeah. Cause you're like, you, cause in our league, you know, it's coming and you know, the shot clock. And so, you know, you're going to see 50, 40 to 50 shots a game, which is crazy. Yeah. I think it's crazy. But yeah. So let's talk about, let's talk about pro lacrosse. Yeah. So you um, you've had a uh, you've had a, a long career, and you've started. You've backed up. You've been a part of like top teams and leagues, but you have uh, you've done a really good job and you vocal vocalized it too about how difficult it is to be a goalie in professional lacrosse because there are so few spots. It's the most difficult position, and um, and you have a silver lining around whether you're a starter or you're a backup. Talk about. <clears throat> kind of your your mindset when it comes to playing goalie at the pro level man it's been a, it's been an up and down career for me and i know that but like at the end of the day i have i have like my pillars that i base everything off of am i a good teammate do i make an impact on the game and, and do i do, do the guys like being around me still and, and if i could do that and do that at a high level but also do my job I, obviously i think i'm one of the best goalies in the world i have to be to be in this league no doubt but the, I don't put everything into invest everything into my performance because honestly, there's so much in this game. You know that as building a brand, I watched you. We've been friends for how many years now? A decade longer. I've, I've watched you grow and grow your brand and grow a lot of other things except for lacrosse. And you've had good years and bad years. And I've had good years and bad years. I've had starting seasons and I've had, backup seasons and what i've realized is it doesn't affect that part of our game the fans or anything my playing does not affect fans and interaction okay quick break in the action for our podcast presenting sponsor i'd like to give them a quick clap I actually realize I can't clap because the microphone's in my hand, so I'm banging my desk table in my empty apartment. But that is to our incredible friends at Ticketmaster. They are the official ticketing partner of the PLL. They're also the presenting sponsor of the Premier Lacrosse League, the presenting sponsor of our Ticketmaster podcast studios, and the presenting sponsor of when we're back in season of the Ticketmaster Premier Zone. 
the folks over at TM see eye to eye with what we're trying to accomplish in professional lacrosse. Commercializing this thing and professionalizing it for the rest of the world. And they're on board of this rocket ship. And they're also giving us capabilities to do what we need to do better and what we need to do best, which is interact with you at home. Get you guys tuned into games, attending games, learning more about the PLL and the suite of offerings to the Ticketmaster events, both concerts and sports leagues and teams. I'm going off the cuff here, but in essence, I want you to download the Ticketmaster app. It's on my home screen. It's easy to find. Just hop on Google Store, iTunes, and search Ticketmaster, and then you'll find more about the PLL. And that's where you can also see Scott and I. So let's go back and talk to Scott. We're both focused on the content that we create that runs parallel with the product we put on the field. And you're able to bifurcate the two like we both have been for a while. We both created content together. So your social presence is unique. It's a great thing for our sport because it's a very unique thing to our sport. And one of the things you talk about often is like, hey, you're going to get my true fucking self. Like this is me. You're looking at me. And you, uh, you troll the trolls. You have a working man's brew bit, so just just talk us about talk to us about your social media. Well, listen, my, my girlfriend, my best friend Hartzell, you our best friend. You know, they always like don't talk. What the fuck? I'm not your best friend. No, I'm getting. You into just it. said my best friend Hartzell. No, could you let me finish? <laughs> so one of my best friends, Hartzell, and my girlfriend <laughs> tell me never to give into the trolls, but you have always told me to just yes. be myself. And that's it. I'm myself when I'm trolling trolls. So that's how I was kind of raised, bro. Like talk shit, get hit. That kind of like, that's how I do it, man. I, I, yeah. I, can't, I cannot not respond. I'm convinced sometimes though that you're, that like the trolls are being brought out of thin air. Like, are you really trolled that much? Every single day you're talking shit. Dude, Is it, so, what, what's your so, DMs look like? Why did you I, shut off the comment section on your Instagram stories? That's gutless. I'm going to shut them off? You, you, they're off. You, I can't comment to you on Instagram stories. They've been off for two weeks. No, no you, one can write you. Oh, okay. That's good. That's probably a good thing. But yeah. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you had enough. I thought you hit your breaking point. I, first of all, no. I never hit my breaking point, first of all. And, and here's, what, here's how it is. Jerry Byrne always said this to me when I was at Notre Dame. He goes, you play dumb really well. I'm like, thank you. You said that when we grew our friendship. Yo, you, you act like a meathead, but you're smarter. Yeah, because you'll pull out this vocabulary and you've got strong vernacular. You keep, you keep it close to the vest and then when you need to bust it out. It's easy to play dumb. <laughs> it's your gimmick. It's, well, first, that, go to, let's stay with that. You got me into WWE wrestling. When we started going to those shows and stuff back in the day, when I yeah. started creating my brand a little bit more, yeah, is when I kind of said, I could do this in lacrosse. I don't think anyone's really done this like gimmick kind of like um, promo kind of like intense stuff in our sport. I was like, I'm going to do it. Like I'm going to be a heel. I'm going to try to be, but I'm a good guy. Like my fans know uh, teaching the game, passing on the game, autographs. I'm, I'm a big, I'm a softie. But I will shoot back, and my mouth is not clean. And, and you know, it's unclean. Unclean, not well. But but you give some of the best motivational talks, if not the best motivational talks in the game. Appreciate that. Appreciate the Project that. Nine joint was tight. That's my shit. Love that shit. 
That was back in like 2016. You were slapping them around. Well, we'll talk about that another time. But I've been doing that that, that thing since you started it. So yeah. <laughs> but what's your uh, so what's your biggest critique of of young players who want to be great out there? Well, we're, we live in a different time. So those kids, these kids are talking a lot more, but they're also getting a lot of like info from YouTube. They get to watch a lot of lacrosse. They get to learn a lot of lacrosse. I think. You know, these kids got to just work a little more. You know how you did it? Like, I don't think they really understand how much time we put into our craft. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I really don't. I, you, don't I, think they, you don't think they work out as hard? I don't think they know what half the stuff that we've done in our career to get to this level. Yeah. What do you think? It's an interesting thing. I, I mean, you called out access to games and content from instructionals to availability of coaches. So I, I genuinely believe at the bottom up, it starts with coaches. Yep. I mean, that's the European model in soccer. That's why England, uh, Germany in particular, the Netherlands are constantly, Spain are at the top of the charts on a, on a uh, annual and uh, basis at the World Cup level because they actually pay the best coaches and assign them responsibility to coach the youth team because they know that if you can get top-class instruction at the entry point, then you have fewer bad habits and you can develop much quicker. And I think that as coaching has developed, when we were playing, most of our co- – I mean, my coach all the way through high school was a, a basketball coach. And then I transferred because I didn't have a coach my freshman year. Uh, he would skip practices and I ended up going into MAFA and playing for a great coach. But like up until that point, these, these were, you know, rec coaches who grew up playing other sports to figure out lacrosse who were assigned to lacrosse. So I think we, as a result, probably had to figure more shit out on our own than, than now. I don't know that I, – I can't put my finger on work ethic yet. I just think times have changed. Because you could say that the skill, and I would say the skill is a lot better. I go back and watch my high school tape. It's cringe. It's cringe. But I was a, I was a number three recruit in the country. My game was cringe compared to the kids now. You were a freak athlete. I was a good athlete. But, like, but what I'm saying is my skill in 2004 was at the top of the class. You look at the skill now in 2020 – so I don't know what it is. I don't know that it's work ethic. I think I think kids also have more exposure to reality because of social media. So they are, uh, I think, probably a little bit more higher from an EQ standpoint. They're more sensitive to uh, – which sensitivity, by the way, is not a fucking bad thing. But they're just more sensitive to the surroundings. You know, and there's just a generational turn that we're in. So, I mean, look, we've had this conversation a million times and, and I think why, that's, that's why I'm, that's why I'm smirking over here. Cause we've had this with just me and you. I'll back Gen Z's. I know they're, they're more difficult to coach, but I think they're, therein lies opportunity for a new wave of coaches to figure out how to coach the current generation. So, let me just say one thing. So the, the athletes bigger, stronger, faster, for sure. I think in the lacrosse game, I do, I really do believe yeah. that. And I also believe that the skill is uh, definitely better. I think the style of coaching has, has been – it's a little bit softer than, than it's been in the past. It's been desensitized. You've had to. Administrations and stuff have come yeah. down. You, have to, you can't – I mean the Bobby Knights of the world are gone. Right. Right. And, and, and I loved that kind of coaching growing up. I was, and, and I was a guy – if my coach tells me you suck, 
and that in that practice, I'm like, I want to prove him wrong all practice. Yeah, and, I got kicked out of uh, probably half a dozen practices my my senior year from Coach yeah. Petra. Yeah, and I, I remember talking to Shorty, and Shorty was telling me how Petra made him run up and down the stadium one day because he's like talking back. Yeah. Just a different style, man. It's just a different style of people. I don't think we're different. I mean, we're not that old. We're 33, 34 years old. But like the 22-year-old athlete isn't uh, – I'm not going to say soft. I don't want to insult anyone, but it's just different, man. That's what you think. You you, you think they're soft. Is this and the, then is Timmy Troutner is coming full circle. Timmy Troutner is 24. Guy, here's the deal. Timmy Troutner is soft. You said it. Guy, say it. Guy, look at me right now. Is this going to be the title of my podcast? Because it is a not <laughs> The generation is soft. I did not say that. That would be a good title. We get more downloads. Yeah, I mean, hard look, to look. You can't have your cake and eat it too, Scott. You want to have a gimmick. You watch the WWE. You can't go in and go out and say, "Hey, I'm going to get velocity for my brand by talking shit," and then say, mm, second thought. Let's hold off on that title." I want to be the people's champ, man. That's it. Well. The people's champ is not a heel. The people's champ is a baby face. You think I'm a heel? You just said you wanted to be a heel. The sport needs a heel. I think I go both ways all the time. Right, which is tough. They'll, they'll write you out of the script at the WWE. They'll write you out of the script. They will. They'll write you out. You got to be a heel or a face. That's it. You know that. Brian Carcaterra knows it. He listens to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, he's he's yeah. looking at you right now and saying, what are you? Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, I wrestle with this every day. I'm a good guy, good teammate, great teammate. I, I'm a great teacher of the game. I'm, I sympathize with the people, the athletes I coach. But I am, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a heel. How about how about a yeah? I, I like you that way. How about a motivational talk to all the young kids right now, and a way to get out of you know that that potential phrase you're using, calling them soft. How how do they not be soft if they're like you know what, Scotty's right. Let me dig myself out of this hole. What, you, what, what are you going to tell them right now? I'm going to say, don't feel bad for yourself, A, because right now things are really bad in the world, in our, in our society. We could either wake up every day and feel bad for ourselves and sit on the couch and watch eight episodes of a show, or I could wake up and say, you know what? Let's make the best of this shit today, and let's do something that will get me better than I was yesterday personally, not LeBron James. I'm not trying to be better than LeBron. I'm trying to be better than Scott Rogers was yesterday. And that's the mindset I'm waking up with during this whole thing and anything adversity I've gone through in my life, my career, I always say, find a positive and try to run with it. And listen, man, you were there last season. I was going to, I was pumped to be able maybe to be a starter again. And guess what? The cards didn't, you know, go my way. I got sick, yeah. whatever. But you know, you got what? you got majorly sick. You were the starter of that team, and then walk us through that training camp moment again. That was crazy, dude. You looked at death right in the face, right in the face. <laughs> I, so the thing for me personally, man, was like I knew I was so excited about the opportunity for this league. I was so excited for the opportunity personally for myself, and I knew I was playing with my two best homies. So I was like. I'm, getting, I'm playing with Paul. I'm playing with Hart. So this is going to be awesome. Maybe this is something I can tell my kids one day. And, uh, you know, training camp comes. I'm doing my part. I think I'm doing my job. I'm a leader. I'm vocal. I'm making the saves I should make. And then, you know, I wake up when, in the middle of the night, and I just feel like I'm getting stabbed in my, in my abdomen and knife twisted around. Oh. And I'm a good guy with pain, man. I get hit with a ball for a living. You know what I mean? Like, 
And then there's, there's a point in time where it's not good to be okay with pain. And that's, that's where you were in a place where you were going to fight through it. Yeah. And it almost cost you your life. I mean, yeah, man, it was not the best. Uh, I got hit with what they say is the perfect storm of, um, the, the rhabdo with the pancreatitis and the dehydration all hit me at like, uh, the same time. And like that kind of could have took me out. It is what it is, man. But like I said, I could sit here and dwell on it and retire and say, you know what? F this. But I've, I've always said like, nah, man, I want my, my legacy is going to be written a different, a different way in this game. And I, I, you know what? It hurts my ego every time some kid calls me a backup or a scrub, but you know what? I know how much impact I have on this game still. Hell yeah, you do. Dude, talk about, talk about that night though. I want to like live that a little bit more because I don't, I don't think people really understand that so you were like rolling on the floor in your in your hotel room callum robinson was like sleeping it was three in the morning and i thought i had like a like a like gas bubble so i was like making myself burp i was like come on man get rid of this like heartburn whatever literally got worse then like moved around and then i started cramping up in like my collarbones i was like what is happening and I was throwing up green bile, which I've never done in my life. Holy so fuck. I didn't say anything for a minute. And I was sitting in that bathroom for like two hours because I didn't want to wake up my teammate, Callum, because he was gassed because he had a great – You were throwing day. up green shit and you didn't want to wake up your roommate. He had a great first day at camp and he was dead ass tired. And I knew it. And I was in the bathroom. I'm like, I'm not going to wake this motherfucker up for like a stomach uh, virus. So I'm like hmm. sitting there like kind of puking. And then I'm on the ground and I just, I'm rolling around and I go like, I got to call coach Paul. And I was like, I'm such a, I'm such a soft ass, like pussy. And I call him, it's three 30 and I call coach Paul. I'm like, coach, something's wrong. I need you to come to the room. He comes in and I was like rolling around the floor. And it was from there. I kind of forgot, like, you know, I, my temperature rose and everything went nuts, but I, I got to the ER just in time, 16 bags of fluid. And you blacked out. You blacked out at that point. Bro, 16 bags of fluid before I had to urinate. Yeah. It was crazy, man. And then you fought back. What have you, uh, what have you done since then? Have you changed your diet and stuff? Or I know you do a lot more cardio. I, I've been trying to add something. Uh, well, I've been telling people I'm, I'm trying to get comfortable being uncomfortable, meaning cardio. You know that. I know that. Right. So that's my uncomfortable yeah. area. And, uh, I'm trying to add it three days a week and then do my part. It's something I hate doing, but I do that. And I, and I, and I'm not taking any, I'm not taking supplements. I'm not taking protein. I'm not taking anything. I'm just like eating chicken, broccoli, trying to, trying to do it right. So we've talked about Timmy Troutner, your social media, your illustrious high school, college career. You never told me why you, uh, why you decided to go to Notre Dame though. Uh, Why don't you go to like Syracuse or Hofstra, Stony Brook, like one of those like, you know, kind of blue blood Long Island schools? I, I honestly, man, just like Syracuse is upstate, but you know what I mean? New York. Yeah. Yeah. None of my parents, uh, both my parents didn't go to college. So like we said, if lacrosse could open a door that I would never be able to get into as a student, just a student. We would take it. We take the best opportunity. And, and I remember this from the day I began was Cornell said no to me. Coach Tambroni said, you got to retake your SATs, man. We, we love your talent, but you, you can't come to Cornell with the grades you have. That's not on Tambo though. 
No, no, no. It's not on Tampa. What was your SAT score? Not great, man. Uh, you know, eleven ninety. I think that's that's pretty great. That's pretty great. I went to Apparently, it's not Cornell great. Did you guys play Cornell? Yeah, we beat him, right? Um, My fucking guy. You know what I mean? Did you shake his hand afterward and say, hey? I like Tambo, bro. Yeah. I know. Tambo's <laughs> fucking great. He's my type of guy. Um, yeah, he's my guy. No, nah, but yeah, I just think Notre Dame was like, I watched Rudy as a kid. Honestly, this is why I went there. I watched Rudy as a kid with my dad all the time. And it's so cliche, but like, dude, I love the freaking movie. The underdog, everything. Underdog story. And that was me, like kind of in my head. You know me. I like to be Did there. Hopkins recruit you? Yeah. Hopkins, Syracuse, and uh, Maryland. What was up with that, dude? We could have played together in college. Coach Seth Tierney went to school with my mom, high school with my mom. So. So what is that? What does that have to do with anything? I just never was. I thought Hopkins was too small, bro. <laughs> what does Seth having to go to high school with yeah, your mom have anything to do with you? Like we have it was like too close? Relationship. No, we had like a relationship. Yeah, like I knew they were recruiting me. Like he was friends with my mom. Like it was, it was awesome. But I just didn't want to. And Petra scared the shit out of me, to be quite honest. Yeah, he's he's intense as shit. Yeah, he's intense, but he's he's great. I think. I mean, you awesome. did just fine. I just I, I I never knew why you didn't go to Hopkins. I also um, who do we have? We had Schwarty and then Gavadson underneath Schwarty and Pierce Bassett. Schwarty, Gavadson, Pierce Bassett. Yeah, but you would have played over both. Yeah. Uh, no, come on. Are you kidding me? Schwarty was good as shit, though, yeah. I mean, they're, they're all well, – well, I, I, Gavadson and Pierce, just to be fair. Schwarty, Schwarty and I won two championships together. Schwarty is that, a legend at the position. He's, yeah, he's a, he's a legend I, I would say when he, it matters. He steps up when it matters. Won some MLL championships. Yeah. He's trying to get back in the PLL. What? Shot me a text about it, but then he, then he bailed on it. Maybe I should retire then. <laughs> he could still save the ball like no one else, man. He's he's, he's technical. He's got really good instincts, and he's um, and he's smart. Yeah, I agree. Smart. Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame was the best choice for me because guess what? A guy like me from where I'm from would never be able to go to Notre Dame without lacrosse. And also, I also knew the connections and the networking I would make from that school would go, you know, a lifetime. So, Bro, you were, you were a two-time All-American, MVP of the national tournament, national championship, and the entire tournament. Six goals against average, 66% save percentage. High, or high school, college programs, and pro programs try to get their goalie to get 55. If you can get 57%, you're late. Yeah. We're not FaceTiming right now. I know. That's fine. Okay. Fuck FaceTime. Let's just finish up over audio. Yeah. I, I just think, honestly, like – I don't tell anyone this really. I haven't been back to Notre Dame since I graduated. And uh, I don't know what it is. Me and my dad have spoken about it and whatnot. It's just like one of those things where I love Notre Dame. I honestly do. And I love my experience there and all my friends and stuff. But like, I just, I, th- I always felt like a, <laughs> I don't know how to say this without, I just never felt like a Notre Dame guy. You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that makes sense, but. You know, like Hofstra, you said earlier, like a Hofstra, Syracuse, kind of Towson. You know, like that, that was kind of probably more my, my, how I grew up. And, uh, you know, Notre Dame for me, I was definitely a fish out of water, but, you know, we made it work and, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. But at the end of the day, man, like I said, it's like <laughs> I sat three years and, and, and I, I backed up for a while. 
So, I mean, I learned my lesson and I, I ate my humble pie and obviously it worked out, but you know what I'm saying? Like things could have been different, but I wouldn't trade it still. Do you think it's because the, uh, like a, a large cohort of people that go to Notre Dame are, are fairly well off and you just grew up differently? I, I think that has something to do with it. I think, like I said, I went to school with guys with Georgetown Prep, Malvern Prep. Those are well off schools and, and, you know, prestigious schools, but you know, MacArthur high school, man, think about that. You know I mean? It's just, uh, it was, it was hard and I knew it was a challenge and I, I, I love challenges, but I also knew, man, I knew like, I always had that chip on my shoulder, man. I was always pissed off. <laughs> I was always like, I got to, I got to get through this place to prove everyone wrong. You know? And that's where it stems from. I think. Yeah. You what's, know? what's your next obstacle? What are you, what are you taking on now? I, I honestly just think just proving people wrong, man. I really just want to show like my next you know year or two of pro lacrosse, I want to show people that, you know, I, I don't want to be known for my, my personality and I know I am. And, uh, it, it bothers me, but it also helps me because I know how many people I impact in a positive way, but I, I want, I want people to, to see, you know, what, what I can do. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And you gotta, you gotta be in between the pipes to do that you got to find the way. So I think the first goal, like you said, is just going to training camp and playing my ass off and yeah. seeing if I can get, get some time. But at the same time, Paulie, you know how this thing works in pro lacrosse, man. If you've got a good team and you like the locker room, you want to be a part of that team. Yeah, no doubt. So that's my, and it's, it's so unpredictable. You just never know what's going to happen. I agree. But that's my priority is my, I love my team right now over my personal success. So, yeah, I mean, that's it. Well, you're a great teammate, brother. Thank you, brother. Enjoyed this podcast with you. It's a long time coming. I love it, man. Appreciate it. All right. That about does it here for another quarantined episode featuring none other than the big rig. Thanks for listening. Make sure that if you haven't already, you subscribe to this show. Give us a five-star rating. Leave a review. Leave a review as in a comment or a question for my next guest or tell me what you thought of Scott. And if you are also interested in telling me what you thought of Scott, you should also tell him. That might be funny, and I'll check out the comment section on his next Instagram post to see if any of you out there want to troll him. He's at ScottyRaj42. Let's make sure you get that right. At S-C-O-T-T-Y-R-O-D-G-4-2. So hop on into his comment section and troll away. And as always, we'll be back next week and every week for an all-new episode of Unbuckled Chinstrap with another PLL player. And until then... Please, please be safe and healthy out there, everyone. Mm.